So we have been in the middle of a series called Because You Asked, where we had uh, opened up online, where we, we asked you to submit questions online uh, about anything within the Bible, our faith, doctrine, and, and all that good stuff. And, and so far we've tackled the topic of uh, the blasphemy, um, the blasphemy and the sin leading to death. Um, we've looked at what it means to trust in God. We've looked at um, suffering and the sovereignty of God, what it, um, tithing looks like in, in a heart forgiving, uh, especially within the New Testament. And last week we looked at eternal security and the preservation of the saints. So what we're doing this summer is just really keeping it light. Um, nothing, too, nothing too crazy uh, or difficult. Uh, um, so if you missed any of those, they are available online on our website, kingschapel.net, in the sermon section. So you can go on, listen to them. You can sign up for a podcast. You can watch them uh, if you want to catch up and if you want any of those questions answered. And the question that I'll attempt to answer this morning is the question of what happens when we die. Um, this wasn't a... This wasn't a specific question that was asked per se, uh, but there were uh, different questions that came in, and this is kind of like a blanket question that would, would cover all those. So if you submitted a question that really falls under this concept of eternity, um, hopefully it will be answered here this morning. And uh, as with any of the, the topics that we've had in this series, and especially this one, an hour or 45 minutes, whatever, won't, won't do that topic much justice. Um, you know, we're only really just hitting the tip of the iceberg on, on any of these things. So what I would hope that this series would do is, is prompt you to, to go into further studies of these things, um, digging into God's Word, digging into theology books and, and stuff like that and really getting into the topics. Um, we cover them briefly and in general, but there's a lot more that goes into it, especially this morning, looking at um, heaven and, and hell. So, and I know one thing for me for sure is, is when I was in Bible school and we, I was in my homiletics class and we were preaching, I realized that the last thing I ever wanted to preach on was the future and on heaven and hell. Um, I was just like, I, there's, and I was like, as we learned more and more about it, I was like, I don't want to have to like teach this because I'm still trying to comprehend what exactly it looks like. So God having the sense of humor he has sends me here and I get this topic. So with that said, this was a really encouraging study. This was a really fun study, a little daunting um, because you don't want to get it wrong. You don't want to put your own twist on what the Scripture says. You want to preach the Bible. You want to, you want to hit um, what, what the Bible says. And that's what I'm trying to do here this morning. So, in the end, this didn't leave me going, I have no idea what's going on. Oh, a little bit. Um, but it, it, it left me with, with some hope and some encouragement, and I hope that's what it will leave you with as well. So, without dilly-dallying around any longer, here's a look at what we're going to cover today. First, hell. Yeah! That's what we're all here for. We're going to do a little hellfire and brimstone this morning. We're going to look at heaven. Oh, that's nice. And we're going to look at hope. So we got two good H's, one not so good H, but um, it will be fun. 
So, let's start with hell. Dr. Tim Keller says in one of his sermons, the way you live now is controlled by how you feel about your future. And that quote, I think, really hits why a sermon like this is so important. You know, what we believe the future holds is just so crucial to the way we're going to live our life. Are we going to live without hope? Are we going to live in doubt that there's nothing to come? Uh, are we going to live in denial that, that there anything that happens after death? I mean, th- that's what thinking about the future really brings. It, it, it focuses on there's something different coming ahead. And that's why a sermon like this is so important, especially in a day and age where a notion of post-death destination, I guess you could call it, is, is just like kind of thrown to the wayside. Uh, when we die, you know, we just become worm food, and that's the end of it. You know, you have a YOLO, um, you only live once. You know, live as crazy and as much as you can now, because once you die, it's just done. And that's just not the case. The Bible teaches us that, you know, there are places we go after we die. One of them happens to be hell for some, and for others, heaven. So let's get the bad news out of the way here, and, and let's talk about what hell is. Wayne Grudem is the author of a book, Systematic Theology, um, An Introduction to Bible Doctrine. And he's also the author of the book, Bible Doctrine, the smaller version of Systematic Theology. And he defines hell this way. He says, Hell is a place of eternal conscious punishment for the wicked. I'll say that again. Hell is a place of eternal conscious punishment for the wicked. That's a fun one. That is a fun definition. I like this definition because it is short, it's succinct, it's to the point. It's not going too far into it, it's just saying this is what hell is. A place of eternal conscious punishment for the wicked. So we're going to look at hell, we're going to study hell through this definition because I think it breaks it down pretty easily. So first of all, we're going to look at hell is a place. Hell is a real place that exists. The, the thing is that um, the, the truth of hell throughout the Scripture is, is given to us progressively. You know, in the Old Testament, there's, there's some talk of it, but not a whole lot. But as we move more and more through the New Testament, God reveals more about hell. He does this with a bunch of things. It's called progressive revelation. Uh, he does it with the Holy Spirit. We see it with Jesus Christ. We see all these things revealed a little bit, and then some more, and then some more, till we get a pretty big picture of it. And it's not that these things change, it's just that we see more of them. We learn more about them. And that's what we see with hell. So there's not a a whole lot mentioned in the Old Testament, but punishment in the afterlife is something that's mentioned. It's seen in a few passages. One of them um, that that you would see it in is Daniel 12.2. Many those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to ever lasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt which would be typically taken as a, a punishment a everlasting contempt because they are in not eternal life but everlasting death and there are a few other vague references pointing to a place like this um, and most uh, Jewish people would have believed in, in Hades and Sheol which isn't necessarily a place of punishment but it is a a place of waiting for the ultimate judgment um, in the end. But in the New Testament, we see hell further described. 
And it's described as, as a place of unquenchable fire and a place of torment. Jesus says in Matthew 25:41, Then He will say to those on His left, Depart from Me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and, and his angels. Hell is a place. It has been prepared. It was prepared for Satan and his angels, but it's also where we will see those in rebellion to God, those who are deemed wicked, um, will go. Recently, author Rob Bell wrote a book called Love Wins. And in that book, he, he talks about... The word Jesus uses for hell a lot is Gehenna. And what Rob Bell says is Gehenna it isn't, isn't actually hell. Um, hell isn't really like hell. Jesus is talking about a garbage dump outside of the city. He says Gehenna really was referring to this literal garbage dump where there would be fire and there would be dogs going after the garbage so there would be the gnashing of teeth. That's what he says hell is. And, and that's simply you know, not true. Francis Chan wrote a book and a rebuttal to that where he, he, he looks at that argument and he says if Jesus was pointing towards a garbage dump, it would probably be more like something as if we were like stuck in tra- traffic and we say, oh, traffic is a parking lot right now. It's not literally a parking lot. Like you don't just go into traffic, park your car, lock the doors and go about your business. It's just not what you do. It's, it's a, a comparison of the two. It's like a, it's a simile. So the garbage dump argument, you know, it was probably a comparison, if anything. But the other problem with, with that argument is that archaeological research shows no signs of any kind of garbage dump where Bell proposes that Jesus would have been talking about. And I mean, think about a garbage dump. There would be something left behind in a garbage dump. Even if it's burned some, not everything burns perfectly. There would have been something left behind, some evidence. There's none of that. So I think that argument that hell is a garbage dump is out the window. And we look in what Jesus says, and hell is a place, a place of eternal fire prepared for the cursed and the devil and his angels. Second, hell is eternal. Revelation 20.10, John says, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophets were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. It's not just a little while. It's forever and ever. Jesus says in Matthew 25.46, And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Eternal doesn't mean temporary. That's not what eternal means. Eternal doesn't mean for like a short period of time. Eternal means eternal. It means forever. And there are views out there that say, you know, hell isn't really an eternal punishment. I mean, if you go to hell, you suffer for a little while, and then God will just completely wipe you out of existence. But but that's, that's not the case. I mean, Jesus says it's eternal. And we'll, we'll go into the words He used for that later. But we're not going to just suffer for a little while, serve our sentence, and be wiped out. It's a, all eternity. Another view, similar to that, says we'll go to hell. Not we'll, but those going to hell. We'll go to hell, suffer for a little while, and then end up in heaven anyway. It's a view called universalism. Everyone will just eventually end up in heaven. It's a fantastic idea, an ideal to think about. It's happy, 
but it's just not what the Bible teaches. Hell is eternal. Eternal life, eternal death. Eternal on both sides. We like to think about eternal life and we go, yeah, that's eternal. But then if we say eternal death or eternal punishment, then it's like, well, maybe not so much eternal, right? But life is eternal. No, everything. And third, and this is, you know, going to be really encouraging, hell is a place of consciousness where people are conscious of what's happening. In the parable of the talents, the master says, cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. There men will weep and gnash their teeth. If you're not conscious of the punishment that's happening in hell, you wouldn't be gnashing your teeth. You wouldn't be weeping. You'd just kind of be like getting punished. Like, it's, it's a conscious place. And, and that's, you know, that's a... That, I'm not trying to scare people, but I mean, that is a scary thing. Like, you're going to be aware of this punishment that's happening. It, and it's, you know, it's, it's eternal. We just went over that. Going off of that point, you'll be conscious of what? You'll be conscious of that hell is a place of punishment. Matthew 25:46 says, These will go away into eternal punishment. Not only is hell eternal, but it's a punishment. Revelation says that those not found in the book of life will end up in the lake of fire. Fire's not fun. Fire sounds a lot like punishment. Um, so we'll go away for eternity to eternal punishment. Conscious of it. Feeling it. I, if we had candles up here, I would act... I mean, they're up here. They're just not lit. But if this was lit and I did this, with this little flame, it would hurt my finger. I would get burned. It's like when you're a kid and it's like, don't touch the stove. The stove is hot. Oh, yeah? Ah! Like, picture that, but a lake of fire. We're going to feel it. It's going to be eternal. It's going to be punishment. And hell is punishment for the wicked. Those who have failed to recognize God is God. Those who have failed to believe and follow Jesus Christ as Lord of their life, who would rather follow in their own sin than follow the Lord of the universe, Jesus Christ. Going to hell or, or not going to hell or going to heaven has nothing to do with, with our deeds. You know, so many times you ask people, you know, do you, do you think you're going to heaven? And they go, well, I haven't done anything that bad. Um, ah, I guess so. Well, if, if your faith isn't in Christ, that, that doesn't matter. You know, just being not that bad is not being perfect. And Jesus was the only one who was perfect. So we need a Savior. We have a need for a Savior because we were all wicked at one time. And because of Christ and His grace is the only reason that we may not be. Because His blood has covered us. We are made righteous by Him. And you may be sitting here this morning and you're like, well, I know I'm a follower of Christ, so like, I'm pretty. I'm good to go. I mean, this is just you know education. Yes, kind of. But at the same time, think about the missional aspects of it. We've went over the statistic a lot. We live in Albany, which is like the the number one post-Christian city in the world or in America or whatever. America, it's got to be. Um, think about that. 
if, if we look at hell and we see how bad it is, and then we think about all the people who don't know Jesus and we don't, who aren't following Christ, that's our mission right there. You know, I, I have a, the, the picture of the, the map in my office with this statistic on it. And it's like, you know, there's still plenty of work to be done here. You know, just because, you know, maybe you have your, your fire insurance, your hell insurance or whatever. I mean, we are on mission to, to spread the gospel of Christ. Not just to say, you don't want to go to hell, follow Jesus. No, but to, to show people the goodness and the glory of Christ so that they would see their own sin and they would repent and follow Jesus. How is a place of eternal conscious punishment for the wicked? I think that definition covers the, the, good na- the, uh, the nature of hell. I don't want to just I don't want to go in depth and, and explore all the intricacies and what punishment would look like in hell. I mean, my job this morning isn't to scare people away from hell or to to do that. What I want to do is just tell the honest truth about what's to come and what I've seen uh, in Scripture and, and what other theologians have seen in Scripture. Um, this is not the most pleasant thing to stand up here and talk about. Uh, or, or to preach, I mean, believe me. Um, but let's go onward, let's go upward to some better news. Let's talk about heaven. I used Wayne Grudem's definition of hell, and I'm going to use his definition of heaven as well. He says, Heaven is the place where God most fully makes known His presence. Heaven is the place where God most fully makes known His presence. Now, Scripture tells us God's presence is everywhere, and that's true. And for those in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within us, yes. Um, But where God's presence is most manifested and His glory is most shown is in heaven. Grudem adds that this place is where He makes His glory known and where angels and other heavenly creatures and redeemed saints will all worship Him. Heaven is where God most fully makes His presence known. This is the very the a bare bones, very short definition of heaven, but I think it, it covers what heaven is because heaven isn't about um, a place where, where we're going. Heaven isn't defined by, by Christians going there. Heaven is defined by God. Heaven is God-focused. And by the grace of God and by the atoning death of Christ, those who are in Christ are, are able to go and experience the presence of God in heaven. That's a great thing. But heaven isn't defined by us. See, without God's presence, it's not heaven at all. And uh, this definition also works because there's the current heaven and then there's a, a future new heavens and new earth. And I'll talk about the, the difference between those later. Um, and this definition covers both of them because in both... It's still heaven because God's presence is there and it's most fully manifested there. So when I say the current heaven is different than the present, what, what I mean is that when a Christian dies, he or she goes to heaven. But with that, the heaven that we die and our spirit goes up to is what most theologians would call an intermediate heaven. 
Um, that's not a term necessarily like seen in the scripture, like when Jesus says, and the intermediate heaven will be. That's, but it's a way of wrapping our minds around it. When we die, we go up to what um, Randy Alcorn, author of the book Heaven, says, is a transitional period between our past lives on earth and our future resurrection to life on the new earth. And generally, when we, when we talk about heaven in conversations with people or you know, people are like, Grandma's in heaven now. We're talking about the, the intermediate heaven, the, the place where we're still in heaven, we're still in the presence of God, and I'm not diminishing what heaven is here. I'm just trying to define the difference between where we'll be for the rest of eternity and, and the waiting period kind of, well, we'll still be in heaven, but our spirit will be in one place, our body will be in another. Um, and that's this intermediate heaven. And Alcorn uses this analogy when talking about the intermediate heaven, and he says this. He says, suppose you live in a homeless shelter in Miami. One day you inherit a beautiful house, fully furnished on a gorgeous hillside overlooking Santa Barbara, California. Sounds pretty good. With the home comes a wonderful job doing something you've always loved and wanted to do. Not only that, but you'll also be near close family members who moved from Miami many years ago. And on your flight to Santa Barbara, you'll change planes in Dallas, where you'll spend an afternoon. Some family members whom you haven't seen in years will meet you at the Dallas airport and board the plane with you to Santa Barbara. You look forward to seeing them in Dallas. But when the Miami ticket agent asked you, where are you headed? You wouldn't say Dallas. No, you, you would say Santa Barbara because that's your final destination. You would, you would mention Dallas because you would say, I'm going to Santa Barbara by way of Dallas. See, Dallas is like this intermediate heaven because it's still good. You're still looking forward to going to Dallas. You're going to see people you love. Um, but the final destination, the, the destination that you're really just looking forward to, that being there, being planted there, is Santa Barbara. Which Santa Barbara would be the new heavens and the new earth that we see so clearly displayed in Revelation 21 and we'll get to. That's what we're, that is what we're looking forward to the most. Still looking forward to heaven. Still looking forward to being with God and all of His glory in the intermediate heaven. Um, but that's just where our, our spirit dwells while our physical body awaits to be resurrected. As human beings, we are both physical and spiritual. That's how God created us. Body and spirit. Flesh and spirit. And when we die, you know, we, we see people get buried in the ground. We see their body there. But for those in Christ who have trusted in Christ, their spirit is now in the intermediate heaven. Up in heaven in God's glory. When Christ, uh, right before Christ breathes his last, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. See, when Christ died, his, his, his spirit didn't die. He, his physical body is, uh, died and is laid in the tomb. But his spirit goes up to be with the Father. And he conquers sin and death. And, and then when he rises from the grave, his spirit and his body are reunited. He rises victorious. Not as a ghost, but both physical and spiritual. Um, you know, because he's fully physical. He's eating fish um, on the shore. He's letting uh, Thomas, like, touch his wounds. Uh, all this stuff. He even says, like, I'm not a ghost. 
And just like Christ, the Bible says He is the first fruits of this resurrection, we too, John says, we will be like Him. So we die, our spirit goes to this intermediate heaven, waiting for the time when we will be like Christ, and you know, only God really knows the time and the hour that it will happen. One day, to be, our physical bodies will be resurrected out of the ground. It will probably be really freaky looking, but it's going to be awesome because our spirit and our bodies will be reunited once again, and, and not like as they are now. They're going to be um, completely uh, redeemed and, and regenerated and better than they were. But we will be like Christ and, and the fact that, you know, spirit and, and physical will be united again. But this intermediate heaven is that, is that time where our spirit will be separate from the body. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Romans 8.23 says, And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Our bodies will be redeemed. No longer, you know, subject to illness and death and, and, and all the, the, you know, hopefully my redeemed body won't look like this. Like, it, it will be renewed and, and regenerated. And God says in Revelation 21, 4, just in the, what we're looking forward to, He says, uh, He will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's what we have to look forward to. No more death. No more crying. No more pain. And, and when this actual um, resurrection uh, it happens, it's, it's debated. You know, if you're a premillennial person, uh, the bodily resurrection happens right before Jesus reigns for a thousand years. After a thousand years, um, we have believers and unbelievers being judged. And then after that judgment, the creation of the new heavens and the new earth, and then that's where we live for eternity. Another view is the amillennial view, which says basically the the thousand-year reign of Christ isn't to be taken as a literal thousand years. And so what we have is just all in one big shot, bodily resurrection, immediately followed by judgment, and then boom, new heaven and new earth. And it's just like bing, bang, boom, like an afternoon of, of that happening. Like, and I'm not up here this morning to de- debate the issue and, and say, well, this is what I believe to be true. It's just, I don't see it being that helpful if you want to go and study, you know, premillennial, historical premillennial, amillennial. I have some good books. Um, I'm not getting into that this morning because what's really important is the fact that these things will happen. When? Yeah. But they will happen. We will be resurrected. We will be fully redeemed and restored. And, and we will see Christ on His great white throne uh, judging, or God on His throne judging, and um, we will be in the new heavens and the new earth. That's going to happen, and that's what's important. And before I, I move forward into the particulars of the new heavens and the new earth, um, and the, the glorious picture that's given to us in Revelation, which I'm really excited to get to, um, I want to go over some misconceptions about heaven. I hit some about hell. There are some big misconceptions today about heaven. And one of them is that heaven is merely a, a state of mind and not a place. Heaven is just a, a state of mind and, and not a, a real place. 
And there are even some evangelical scholars who, who hold to that, which is like, how? I don't even see how that can go together. I'm an evangelical scholar, but I don't believe heaven is a place. It just doesn't make sense. But that's what they hold to. And, and the reasoning behind it is because, well, we only really see evidences of heaven in the Bible. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a good source to have for heaven. I mean... <laughs> It's, it's God's word. It's breathed out by God, profitable for teaching and, and all the other words I can't remember off the top of my head as I try to quote that verse. It's God's word. I mean, where, where else do we want to learn from heaven? We want to le- learn from, from movies, from Bruce Almighty or, you know, those movies? Do we want to learn about heaven from a four-year-old kid who doesn't even really know how to count yet? Like, how do we want to learn for, about heaven? This is the book we want to learn about heaven from. It's a real place. Acts 1.11. Oh, hey, that's me. Let's, uh, let's backtrack it here. Oh, I just gave away my picture. All right. Acts 1.11 says, This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Sure, like maybe right now we can't see exactly where Jesus is, but it's you know, because he's in heaven. And he, he dwells there. Um, but look at also Stephen's death. When he was stoned, it says he was full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So Stephen's eyes were opened and he saw this glorious state of mind. No. He saw a place. He sees Jesus in heaven. It's a real place. It's, a, it's very real. It's heaven. Another misconception about heaven is that we will remain uh, just these disembodied beings for all eternity, living purely in spirit. This is uh, a view that is really derived from Plato's teaching that physical, bad, spiritual, good, um, and so that when we die, we're, we're trying to escape this physical that is just so awful, and we're trying to get into this spiritual. And that, that's, not, that's not the case. We'll see when we look at the new heavens and new earth that it's physical. We're very real. Uh, God created us both physical and spiritual, and He called it very good. If, if very good was only spiritual, He would have just created spiritual. But that's not the case. God will redeem His creation in the same way um, as, he, as He created it in the beginning. Both physical and spiritual. So, spiritual isn't necessarily good in, in physical evil. We live in this world where things have been tainted by sin and death. So, we see these uh, effects of that and we go, well, this, this stinks. There's got to be something better and that's true. There is something better coming. But it's not just purely f- spiritual. We have a redeeming God who will redeem the physical and the spiritual. And it will be glorious. So let's keep moving forward here. And let's look at the new heavens and the new earth. And uh, for, for this look at the new heavens and new earth, I've been bouncing around uh, quite a bit through, through the scriptures here. But um, we're going to pretty much land in Revelation 21. Um, 
uh, just flip right back before um, your glossary or your index and you'll be at Revelation 21. Second to last chapter in the whole Bible. And it is my hope um, that as we study this aspect of the future that we will be brought much hope. You know, we, we started with the bad news. We got to the better news. And we're just continuing the better news. It's just it's awesome. So this is what we're looking at um, now, Revelation 21. And 1 Peter, in 1 Peter, when we studied that book, uh, I had the, the privilege of, of closing it out and kind of summing the book up. And the one thing we saw in that book that Peter kept pointing to, he kept saying, you have a living hope. You have a living hope, an eternal inheritance. You know, stand firm in the hope. And I illustrated with this wire last time I preached. And that little white part was our life here. And this orange part that we see going all the way around was eternity. And, and what we're going to be looking at now this morning is we're really going to be studying this orange part. Because um, the white part is where we are, we're at now, where we're going to suffer for a little while, and we're going to endure, and we're going to you know, be on mission and the, the, the orange part is when we step foot into eternity. Well, we're in eternity, really, but um, this is what we're going to be looking at. We're looking at the orange part of the extension cord. <laughs> it's very theological. <laughs> You'll read many books, the extension cord theory. Um, but this is what we're going to be looking at this morning. Because we, we all have a desire for something greater. And this is this is something far greater. And you know, if you're if you're here and you're in a rough season of life and, and you missed that sermon, well, good thing I'm like kind of talking about similar things now. Hopefully, this will bring you hope. That the that the white part is only but a blink of an eye compared to the orange. And, and maybe this is your best season of life. Well, cool. We're looking at something even better. So. It works out both ways. I can assure you, better times are on their way for those in Christ. And in the beginning, I, I quoted Dr. Tim Keller, where he said, The way you live now is controlled by how you feel about your future. Knowing what is coming great, is going to greatly affect how we live. I'm reminded of Back to the Future 2, obviously. Um, when I... <laughs> When Marty McFly goes into the future, finds the Gray Sports Almanac. It's got like all these sports stats from like the past, I forget what year he goes. Like Facebook will post a picture of when Marty McFly went to the future and they're all false. But whenever he goes in the future, he finds this almanac. So he has like 50 years of, or 100 years or whatever of sports scores and everything that happens. So he buys this almanac hoping to profit from, from the future and um, knowing what's going to happen. Dr. Brown throws it out. Biff, the bad guy, finds it. So when they end up going back to the past, old Biff gives the almanac to young Biff, and then Biff's life is completely changed, and he lives in a completely different way because now he has this almanac. So where we see at the end of the first movie, Biff is polishing um, Marty's dad's car. Well, in the second movie, Biff is now like this big billionaire with his giant building and, and everything else. And all that to say, um, I love watching Back to the Future. No, all that to say, 
All that to say, what we know about the future will change how we live. Will change our perspective. Biff got that almanac. Biff had some hope. Well, we have something better. We have the Bible and we have hope. And so, you know, as I was studying heaven, I didn't, I didn't come to this conclusion that I was kind of skeptical about what's to come. No, I was like, this is coming. Like, I have the full assurance that this is true and this is coming. It even says, these words are trustworthy and true. That's what the angel tells John. So I believe wholeheartedly what we see here written in chapter 21, what we see here written in the whole thing, is very true. And it brings me great hope. So, chapter 21, let's look at verses 1 through 3. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. I'll stop right there for now, but that's, that's already pretty awesome. So, I mean, look at what verse 1 says. It says, For the first heaven and first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And when we we look at this verse, there's, again, just like with many other things about the, the end times, there's debate on, on what this actually looks like. Because it says the new heaven and the new earth for the first heaven had passed away. And what, what some people would say is they'll compare it with Second Peter 3.10 where it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And they look at these two passages with each other and they do go together. And the conclusion that they draw is that the earth now, as we know it and that we live on, will just go be completely obliterated like no longer in existence. It'll just be wiped out. It'll be annihilated. This view is called annihilationism. It makes sense. And I can, I can see where the conclusion comes from and it seems like, well, yeah, that's what it sounds like it's saying. It's going gonna, it's gonna to pass away. It's going to dissolve. It's going to be absolutely destroyed. But I, I don't think that's what the Bible is saying. We see throughout Scripture from the very beginning, God... Working and redeeming. Redeeming people, redeeming creation. It's, he's a redeeming God. And, and I, don't, I don't think God would just completely wipe everything out and start over again. If He was going to do that, why would He wait so long to do it? Why did He need to send Jesus? Why wouldn't He just wipe everything out? Like when He, when he flooded the earth, why not just destroy the earth instead of flooding the earth? If he was going to do that, why, why wouldn't he have done that from the beginning? Why would he look at his creation and say it's very good? God surely would not scrap everything that he created to do something altogether that was very good. And if God just, you know, said, you know what, forget it. I'm just going to, to scrap everything. God's really letting sin and death win at that point. Because it's not God saying, I'm stronger than this and I will overcome this. I will redeem the world from this. It's God saying, well, fair enough. 
I'll just start over again because, you know, you won. No, God wouldn't be much of a God if He did that, and I don't think that's what He is going to do. He's a redeeming God. Romans eight nineteen through twenty one says this. For cre I don't have it up there. Okay. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. And hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So creation is waiting this this future where it will be freed from its bondage. To To be freed from the bondage of sin that even creation is experiencing... If, if I'm chained up and bound and in bondage, if I say, will you please free me from this, and someone just like sets me on fire and burns me up, like, it's not, I feel like I'm not being really freed from the bondage of my chains. I'm just being completely wiped out. And I, I guess in one sense, it's like a relief for the, the pain that's going on. But that's not freedom. Not being freed from the bondage. God is going to free creation from the bondage and corruption and tame the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The same freedom that we will attain, creation will obtain. Matthew 19.28 says this, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious... Do I have this up here? Because I think it's really... Nope. Man. Slacking. I'm slacking. Alright, track with me on this one then, since it's not up on the screen. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And that, that, was, that was from the ESV. And it said, Jesus said that in the new world... And if you have an ESV and you're in uh, Matthew 19, you don't have to turn there now, but if you go back and look at it, there's a footnote, ne- a little thing next to the, the phrase, in the new world, there's a footnote that says, in the regeneration. Now, if you were to read the same passage in the, the NASB, that actually translates it, in the regeneration. So, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, and then the rest of the verse. And the NIV, it says, at the renewal of all things... And the New King James Version, it says, in the regeneration. And the Greek word used for this is palagenesia, which means new birth, renewal, recreation, regeneration. God will take a broken creation and completely renew it. And renewal and, and regenerating, like we're going to be regenerated. That doesn't mean we're going to be killed and created over again. Like, well... We're not going to be destroyed completely and remade over again. We're going to be regenerated. We're going to be redeemed. And I want to just make sure you're hearing, like, I don't want to communicate this. It's not like this will be what we have. Like, we're not going to have the same exact earth. It will be new. It will be different. It will be awesome. But it will be completely changed. Not wiped out, but changed. Be redeemed. And I just want to make that so important because... For me, so long, I just thought, well, the earth is going to be blown up and then he'll start new and then, boom, that's how it's going to be. But I don't think that's what Scripture teaches. I think it's going to be regenerated. I I know it's going to be regenerated and redeemed. 
Let's move on to verses 2 and 3 here. It says, I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. When we looked at the intermediate heaven, it was, we leave earth, we go, our spirit goes up to be with God in heaven. We look at this, this new creation, this new heavens and new earth, and we see this awesome picture. God coming down out of heaven and dwelling in creation on the new earth with His people. He says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. It's the, the story of the Bible goes from beginning, we have the middle of the story, and then it goes back to beginning, where we have the Father in Genesis, He's God walking among His creation, walking in relationship with Adam and Eve. And then we see at the end of the book, end of the Bible, God will dwell with man once again, just living, living among us. If we had sun outside right now, you would see the sun. Well, there's no need for sun or moon to shine on the new earth for the glory of God gives it its light. Like, think about that for a second. Like, a sunny day here on the new earth, it won't be a sunny day. It'll be like a godly day. It'll be the glory of God illuminating your day. And that's what it's going to be like all the time. He's going to be so intimately close to us that He's literally going to be lighting up the new heavens and new earth. I think it's... I don't know, it's hard to even imagine it, really. But it's going to be awesome. I can't... I, Honestly, can't even picture how cool it would be. Um, but I think you know that alone shows how much better the new earth will be compared to the current one. And I, I think I, I said it earlier: heavens are not not about us being where well, we are, but it's rather who we're with. God is going to find His dwelling place on the new earth with man. We will be dwelling intimately with God for all eternity. We will be with Him. That's what makes it so great. That's what makes it so magnificent. We're not going to just be separate from Him here on this earth hoping to see Him one day. Not anymore. We're going to be with Him face to face. Dwelling with Him. It's, it's about who you're with. We will be with the, the triune God. One of the questions that came in um, was, and this was, this was a real uh, fun one, what, what is the role of the Holy Spirit going to be in heaven? That, that was a question that came in. And every time I've like said that to someone, like I have to kind of answer that question, they go, hmm, that's interesting. I don't know. I know. I don't know either. Um, but as I as I'm study as I was studying this and uh, you know it says we're gonna we're gonna be there we're gonna be with God his his throne um, will be in heaven the Lamb will be um, in it um, the the question arises what will the role of the Holy Spirit be and the Bible doesn't say too much to this end and I, I don't want to hang on it too long because a lot of it will just be me wondering what's going to to happen um, but I do want to look at you know what has the Holy Spirit's role been. And I think his role would be 
pretty similar in the new heavens and the new earth. In Genesis 1, we see the Spirit present during creation. Chapter 1, verse 2, it says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Holy Spirit will have a a major role in, in probably the creation of the new heavens and the new earth, just like He did with this earth. He, he's a, we have a creator God. All parts um, take part in that creation. God says we will create. The Holy Spirit is said um, will be with us forever. In John fourteen sixteen, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. This word, I own, which is the same word used in Matthew twenty five forty six when we looked at, at hell, the same word forever is the same word um, derived in with eternal life and eternal punishment. So the Holy Spirit was given to us not to be with us just for a little while, but to be with us forever. So I would imagine the Holy Spirit is still going to be dwelling within us, revealing things about, um, revealing things and teaching us things and bringing us wisdom. Because even though we're going to be in heaven, we're going to be glorified, we're going to be redeemed, we're not going to be God. We're not going to be omnipotent. We're not going to be omniscient. We're not going to have all everything that God is. We're still going to be learners. We're still going to be worshipers. The Spirit will work in us, I believe, to, to teach us more and more about God and to move us more and more in worship of Him. You know, I don't want to speculate too much, but that... That's, I mean, that's like a, a really tiny bit of, of what I see the Holy Spirit working in heaven. So we'll be dwelling with God, Father, Spirit, or Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in heaven. The Holy Spirit, I mean, the, I left this out. I mean, the most obvious thing is the Holy Spirit's a part of the Triune God. He's going to be present. He's going to have a role. He's not just going to be eliminated. And lastly, I want to look at that the whole the new heavens and new earth um, I know I'm going a little long here but um, it's it's not going to be what we see plastered all over TV and, and cartoons and children's books uh, as Lou likes to say we're not going to be chubby babies in diapers playing harps for all eternity um, <laughs> Mark Driscoll says that sounds a lot more like hell than it does heaven <laughs> uh, I mean just to illustrate that. You don't want to see this instead of diaper playing a harp. <laughs> Stick with the collar. <laughs> Did that just get amen out of that? <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> but it's true, because I don't even want to see that. And unfortunately, maybe when I'm older, someone will have to see that. I don't know. Um, but for all eternity, that certainly will not be... It's just, that's not, that doesn't bring us much hope. Um... And, and I don't think the intermediate heaven is like that either. I just, no. Um, what, what gives me hope is that the, the new earth is going to be just that. It's going to be earth. It's going to be physical. It's going to be real. In chapter 22, John describes the new earth. And he says, uh, The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as a crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb of God through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river, a real river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding fruit it's each month. We, 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 see group, we see fruit, we see vegetation, we see growth, we see this river. It's going to be real, it's going to be physical. I'm, there's a lot of you guys out here who I know love hiking and just being in creation. 
we're going to be in this glorious, redeemed creation. There, I'm sure there will be hiking. Like, I'm sure there will be all these kinds of things to do because we will still be in creation. We can still enjoy it. We're going to be eating. We're going to be, you know, we're going to have senses. We have five senses now. Tim Keller in one of his sermons or a book or, or something, I know it was Tim Keller, he says, you know, when we're redeemed, who knows? Maybe we'll even have a, a hundred senses to, to just greatly enjoy this new redeemed creation. It's going to be physical. It's going to be something that we can, we can really enjoy and just, you know, just get dirty, you know? Uh, it's going to be great. You know, I, I don't see a lot of hope in saying I'm going to be this disembodied spirit for the rest of eternity. That just doesn't... I don't see that bringing much hope, but what I see in these passages is hope. Dwelling with God. Dwelling with with my brothers and sisters in Christ forever, enjoying it. So as I finally come to a close this morning, the obvious question that I'm, I'm, I'm sure you would think that I would ask you is, do you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? That's a pretty dumb question. I think that's a pretty, pretty just stupid question. Giving everything laid out, I think everyone would go, okay, I'll take heaven, I guess, over hell and the eternal fire and gnashing of teeth and, and everything else. But that's not, that's not the question I, I really want to ask. Because it's not about us deciding where we want to go. It's not about us striving to do all these things to get where we want to go. Earlier I talked about... Um, hell being a, a place for the wicked and, and left up to ourselves and left up to our own decisions, whether we say we want heaven or not, if we are not in Christ, if we're just trying to get to these places by doing all the right things, we're not going to get there and we're all running straight for hell if we're trying to do it ourselves. But by the grace of God, Christ came down and lived among us, sacrificed Himself on the Roman cross so that we could be free from hell. Not because of anything that we've done, but because we could be free in Him. Romans 5, 6-8 says this, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't wait for us to finally get it right and then say, now this is the time where I'll go, I'll go sacrifice myself. They've finally gotten it right. No, we were all wicked. We are all running the race just to get down to hell. We were following our selfish pride, and maybe, maybe some of you guys still are. Maybe you're like, I, no, I'm gonna, I want to do what I want to do. I want to follow my own sin. I want to follow all the selfishness of my heart. But we're, we're, we're called to Christ, and it's by His grace alone that we can be saved from an eternity of death and punishment. So. The, the question this morning isn't really, do you want heaven or do you want hell? Because I think we all want heaven. But the, the question is, are you willing to humble yourself before Jesus? Repent of your sins and follow Him. It's not about a, a where, but it's about a who. 
Will you follow Jesus? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Heaven's not about being a, it's not about a place. It's about being with God. And no one comes to the Father except through Christ. So I'll invite the band up right now. And I'll just ask this one more time. Are you going to follow Jesus and treasure Jesus? Because if you're willing to, to deny yourself and follow Him, the answer to the question, do I want heaven or do I want hell, is answered clearly. It's not about getting out of hell. It's about believing and following in Jesus Christ. So as we, as we sing this, for the rest of the morning, I, I want to focus on that fact. And, and uh, if you need to repent, repent. Give your life over to Jesus. Repent if you're if you're in Christ. Re- repent of those things that are keeping you from growing even closer to Him. It's about Christ. It's about His grace and His mercy in our lives. He is our only true living hope. Let's pray. God, thank you for your Word and all you have revealed to us through it. Uh, I thank you for challenging me uh, in this capacity. Um, over this past uh, couple weeks. Lord, I pray that um, people in this room would be challenged by the truth of your Scriptures. And that Jesus would be very real and very evident to them. Lord, I pray that you would make Jesus real to me when I forget about it. And keep him real to me. And that all of us, that we may be able to look forward to the hope that's in store for us in Christ. Hope of eternity with you. We just give, I pray that we would give everything over to you. Even those things that are just holding us back from you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.